Hello. I didn't introduce myself before this morning. In case you are new, my name's Brad. Um, and I have the, the privilege of, uh, of helping to oversee and lead this community. So uh, welcome again. Uh, we have been kind of in the middle of a series, which is not normal for us to do series, um, but, uh, but uh, Amy's been teaching a series, um, I guess we've called it The Consecrated Journey, so, uh, so dealing with, uh, with sexual sin and sexuality and all of those sorts of things, so we're just kind of having a bit of a uh, mid-series break, and uh, just to, you know, just so you can relax for a bit. Um, but we'll be we'll be back into that soon, uh, yeah. And also to give to give Amy a break, uh, more so. But uh, it's been really good. Who's been enjoying it so far? Yeah, powerful stuff. Uh, and this message, I guess, uh, does tie in in some way uh, with that. Um, in that we want to be a community that um, that is authentic and genuine and just talks about the real stuff. Uh, so uh, no nonsense. There's no point kind of beating around the bush and and kind of not talking about. Um, uh, difficult issues um, scripturally because then we end up um, losing out because we don't actually get to taste the, the fruit of the fullness of, of Christ and his life for us. Uh, but I want to talk this morning about speaking the truth in love. Who's heard that scripture quoted before? Yep. Anyone know where it is in the Bible? Anyone know it as a memory verse? No? We find it in Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, so everyone, because you've all got your Bibles, because you're good, you know, Bible study people. Um, so grab them out and, uh, and open them up and um, I'll just give you a second to do that. Yeah. So you've got to close the Facebook app. Open up the Bible app. yeah, so we're going to be going through a few scriptures this morning. I do encourage you, um, we don't need to be all religious about Bible stuff, but uh, it's good if you have your Bible with you so that you can kind of during the week um, kind of go over stuff just in case um, by some off chance I say something that's relevant and worthwhile learning. So um, it's always good to prepare yourself. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, and again, probably as a community we, we share this uh, part of Ephesians 4 a lot where it talks about apostles and prophets and evangelists, shepherds and teachers of the fivefold ministry. But it says, and Jesus gave, so he gave, talking about Jesus, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for works of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So Paul starts off by saying there's these five gift sets that are given to the church and they come through people that God calls to, uh, to I guess, stand in that office of either a, an apostle or a prophet or evangelist or a shepherd or a teacher. And their role is to equip the saints, equip the body of Christ for the work of ministry. So it's not to do the ministry, it's to equip the body for the work of ministry. Who here is a full-time minister? Only a few of you. All right, we've got some work to do. All right, everyone put your hand up in the air. All right, hold it up high. Who's a full-time minister? Yay, awesome, that's better. Wow, so much easier. I'll, I'll do that next time I want you to understand, teach you something. 
It's like agreement before the truths even come. But that is the reality, that we are all called to the work of ministry. And we're all being equipped by the church because ministry doesn't happen, and I don't think should happen primarily within the four walls of the church. Because the people that need the gospel generally aren't always, they're not packing into churches every Sunday. They're probably sleeping in or hanging out with friends or doing other things, but they're in workplaces, in schools, in universities. That's where they are, and that's where the gospel needs to go. And the role of the leadership in the church is to equip everybody to go out and be full-time ministers of the gospel. So to equip you, and that word even equip, it's a, it's, I don't know if it's used many times in the scriptures, but in the Greek, it almost has a sense of um, like a chiropractic adjustment. So it's to bring into alignment. The, the fivefold ministry brings the body of Christ into right alignment. So they're fully functioning. Okay? It's for the building up of the body of Christ. And that's not building numerically. It's building each person, building up. Till all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, of Christ, that everyone attains to this mature manhood, womanhood, um, till they come into the fullness of who they are, maturity, and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Hallelujah. But even the role then of the fivefold ministry is that every person would come into the fullness of Christ in their life. It's a good thing. And we could end it there. And if that was the end, we'd say, yes, amen, awesome, fantastic. But it says, so that. Very important two little words, so that. So there's a purpose that comes after that. So that we may no longer be children. So we're called to be child-like, not child-ish in the kingdom of God. Big difference. So we might no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So this process of the building up, the maturity, the fullness of Christ is that a stability can come into our life, in our faith, in our walk, in our outworking, that no longer gets kind of tossed to and fro by, by different teachings and different doctrines and you know, deceitful schemes of the enemy and of people. So don't get washed away by these things so that we stand firm in the knowledge of Christ, of who he is, of what he's accomplished and who we are in relation to that. Who's ever kind of maybe read something or, or watched a video or had a conversation with something and you just feel like your whole faith kind of gets rocked? Anybody had one of those kind of moments? Yeah, I've had people share those stories with me and it's like, oh, what do I do in this? What about this other religion or this other truth or this, that and whatever? Okay, so it's, it's, it's natural that it happens. I mean, even in Christianity, sometimes people get led astray by false teaching and by these, you know, the craftiness and deceitful schemes. But it says, rather than doing that, we are to speak the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So that's the outcome. Not just that we individually come into oneness and fullness of Christ, but that corporately we come into that. That that community kind of grows in such a way where the whole body starts getting built up in love. Not dissension and division and, and brokenness and chaos, but there we're working. So we, when we come into the church, we come as we are. God accepts us fully, regardless of where you are. You could be an enemy of God, an atheist, a Satanist, whatever you want to be. 
God accepts you and he loves you and he wants you to come to him. But we don't stay in that place because God's heart is too big for us to want to, for us to for him to want us to come into fullness and wholeness and freedom. Okay, so the Lord will start to irritate us <laughs> and aggravate us and stir things up in us because he wants us to come into freedom. And yet we don't know how to walk in freedom because if we did, we wouldn't need him. As I prayed briefly this morning when we were um, gathering, the, this idea of the church is the governing body in the nations. The church is God's designated governing body. That's what an ecclesia is. So the word translated into English as church is the word ecclesia. Ecclesia comes from a Roman understanding of a governing body. That we as the church are supposed to govern the affairs of the nations in a way of the kingdom though. So not in the way of ultimate power and domination, but through humility and service and undergirding and releasing the leaven of the kingdom, we should then, we, in, in prayer, in intercession, that we have actually have an authority and a responsibility to govern the nations. But if we're not coming into wholeness, then our ability to do so is hindered. So speaking the truth in love is vital for healthy and Christ-like community. It's vital for a healthy church that we're speaking the truth in love to one another. It's an essential element in the process. And without it, we cannot achieve the goal that Christ has set us to achieve in him, which is becoming, becoming like him and governing with him. Without the tr truth being spoken, we cannot come into the fullness of what he has for us. Now, we, you may have heard the scripture, uh, John 16, 13, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth, but he doesn't always speak directly to us. Which is frustrating, maybe. Because, you know, maybe for some of us, it's like, you know, it'd be a whole lot easier if I could just isolate myself and just do a me and God journey. And, uh, and just remove all of those people. But God doesn't do that. He uses community. And my thought is because he's a communal God. He is one God in three persons. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Completely equal. And yet in their function, they're subordinate. So the Spirit does what the Son tells him to do. The Son does what the Father tells him to do. So it's complete equality. It's what we call ontological equality but functional subordination. Ontological equality, functional subordination. So ontology is the study of being. So as, as beings, they are equal, but in their function, they're subordinate. Okay? So God is communal, and therefore, as we are created in his nature, we are communal. Even within ourselves, within our body, body, soul, spirit, where there's a communal functioning between. One is not more precious and more important than the other. They all function and uh, interweave together. And the word that we find uh, translated often as communion or community or even sharing, sharing when it comes to sharing knowledge and understanding, is the word koinonia. Everyone say koinonia. Koinonia. Koinana. Koinonia. Can someone turn up the house lights a bit? I just feel like I'm finding it hard to connect with you. There we go. That's better. I can see your beautiful faces. So uh, koinonia is, is uh, translated fellowship, 
association, community, communion, joint participation, intimacy, and even communication. So that sharing, it's the sharing one to another, this word koinonia. So we need community. So God functions, so okay, the two words there, communion, community, and communication, all coming from that same root word koinonia. So they're all connected. Community, communication, the sharing of truth comes in a communal way. That's the point I was trying to make. I'm sure I could have found a shorter way to it, but there we go. I feel more intelligent when I use Greek words. So we, we need community. But more than that, we need a community that speaks the truth. And even more than that, we need a community that speaks the truth in love. To love is to speak truth and to speak truthfully. And so as well, the fivefold ministry in that overseeing of the church and the laying of the foundation, um, it creates a context for us to receive truth. Because we're not designed to grow and to live in isolation. We're designed even, uh, you know, right in the, in the creation narrative there. God says it's not right for man to be alone. So that's what, you know, the, the function of, of husband and wife is it's, we're, we're kind of designed to, to be communal in that way. To have children and that, those children that are dependent upon us. You know, when you give birth to a child, the child is not independent. It's wholly, 100% dependent. We're at, uh, uh, last night, Lisa and I were at my uh, cousin's engagement party and my other cousin, they've got a new little uh, newborn baby and so we're having kind of a cuddle of that and Lisa just looks at us like, it's just so helpless. And it's like, yeah, that's right. And so even in the family dynamic, there's this, the, the child comes into a completely dependent relationship. We are relying upon one another. And so what um, the fivefold ministry does, it doesn't just communicate content, but it creates a context. So it's why we gather together. It's why we have, you know, life hubs. It's why we do all of these things. It's why we worship together corporately. It's why we share food afterwards. We are communal and, and connected in that way. But there's one thing we can just say, here's all the content. Here's what you need to understand, yada, yada, yada. But if there's no outworking in context, it's hard to fully receive and outwork those truths. So here's what I think. So we have content of the truth, which must exist within the realm of a context. So content plus a context brings that truth to life. And having, a, having content in a context allows us to receive information, which when it's from God and we receive it into our hearts, it becomes revelation, which then, when it takes root in our heart, it causes transformation. That's it. I'll, I'll write your name with a... Tick next to it, Amy. Leads to transformation. And then that transformation, because it's rooted in our heart and out of the overflow of our heart, everything comes out. It becomes a manifestation. All right. So if you want a really brief but significant reason as to why Christian community is important, why being part of a local fellowship is important, why doing life together in a, in a real way, why speaking the truth in love is important, is because there's a way to get to this that starts right back here. So you've got to speak the truth, 
But speak it in love, and love doesn't just come and say, well, I know that love's in my heart for you. Love is a demonstration. It's an outworking. God, Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He shows love always has an action associated with it. It's not just a gooey feeling. It has an outworking. So we have content within the context of the local community, which shares that information that we receive, which becomes a revelation when it's from God, which leads to heart transformation and ultimately a manifestation of that truth through our lives, which impacts the world. So then we, as people, start to manifest the kingdom. And we create a context where we can share the content of the kingdom of God with those in our workplace. And that content comes out and it becomes information, revelation, transformation, manifestation. Hallelujah. That's really good, Brad. Amen, brother. Preach it. Man, revelation. So important when it comes to this idea of speaking the truth, uh, that we can differentiate between speaking the truth and speaking our opinion. So truth is objective, whereas opinions are subjective. Yes, yeah, so truth um, exists and is true regardless of whether you believe it or not. Okay? Whereas an opinion is subjective. It's like, well, I can, you know, it might be true, it might not be true. It doesn't have an um, objective element to it. Okay? Now, you can have an opinion that is also truth in that kind of way, but it's so important that when we come to speaking the truth in love, that we're not just thinking of, well, this is my opinion, or this is the way that I want somebody to do it, but I speak as if it's truth when it's actually just my opinion. Our ability to speak the truth in love is always hindered or helped by the motivation of our hearts. So sometimes we might call it speaking the truth, but it's not in love because the only reason we are saying it is to convince the other person to behave in the way that we want them to. So we call it speaking the truth, and it might be the truth, but it's not in love because it has control attached to it. So I'm actually just, I'm just saying this because I want you to stop behaving the way that you are in order to help me. So to speak the truth in love, the word must be given freely with no expectation of acceptance or return. So when we speak the truth in love, our focus is to love the other. But when we speak it out, it's like you can receive this or you cannot receive this. Because it's up to you to receive truth. We cannot put a demand on someone receiving the truth that we are speaking. To speak the truth in love, our heart must be for the other person's benefit primarily. We speak the truth in love. So we've got to be in love, not in a romantic, you know, in love way, but like, I love you, and so I'm speaking the truth to you. We must be in God's love in order to speak God's truth. And when we speak the truth in love, sometimes we get caught up because we love the truth, not the person who we're speaking the truth to. A lot of people, they love us, love the truth. And I say to speak the truth, and when, well, yeah, I love you because I'm speaking the truth to you. It's actually, you know, you love the truth. You don't love me. So it's hard to receive the truth from someone who's not, who doesn't love you, who's not concerned for your benefit, because the truth's only coming out for their benefit. Love is the most important part. Love is the distinctive element here, the most important element. We might say, no, it's truth. Truth is the most important thing. 
But God says, no, love is the most important thing. 1 Corinthians 13, 2 says, and if I have prophetic powers, what does the prophetic do? It reveals truth. And if I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Wow. Wow. (laughs) So again, in relationship, it's okay to share our opinion as long as we call it that. (laughs) And we don't try and make it out as truth. So what is truth? Well, ultimately, Jesus is truth. He even says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. So we see in Jesus, in the manifestation of his life, in what is spoken of in the Gospels, that's the ultimate of truth. I think even, is it Pilate or Herod that asked Jesus, you know, what is truth? And I remember hearing a preacher say, you know, and Jesus kind of stands there and it's like. (laughs) You're looking at him, buddy. So when it comes to speaking the truth in love, it's very important that we seek connection before correction. Seek connection before correction. If you're not connected, then your confrontation may lead to a conflict. The three C's. Connected helps to, when we confront, to avoid conflict. So a lot of people avoid confrontation. Amy spoke about this a few weeks ago. You know, they, they avoid confrontation because their only understanding of confrontation is conflict. Because they don't connect. I know in, in, uh, for Lisa and I, in our marriage, if there's not connection and I bring up something with her or she brings up something with me, it often causes conflict. Because there's a sense of like, well, you're just kind of nagging me about something, but you're not really concerned for me. And you don't want to know even why maybe I'm struggling or why I did that. Or you're not concerned about the motivation of my heart. You're only seeing my behavior. You're judging my heart through my behavior. And now you're just confronting me about this thing. And it creates conflict. But when there's connection, when connection is maintained, or even when it's sought in that moment primarily, then all of a sudden it gives an ability and an openness to receive and to speak out and it, and it achieves its purpose if it's the truth of God. Seek connection before correction. And when it comes to the church, kingdom relationships are established upon covenant, not upon agreement. So obviously, if we don't agree on the fundamentals of our faith journey, then we probably shouldn't covenant with people or with a community. You know, if God leads you to a Christian community, like, I disagree with everything that they believe. It's like, maybe, maybe you have really bad, you know, theology or something, but maybe it's just not the right place for you, okay? So there has to be some measure of agreement on the fundamentals. But when we come and we commit ourselves in relationship to one another, and that is the marriage relationship, but we, we covenant ourselves with that person. And I'm not talking about, you know, you know, slicing your wrists and mixing your blood together or some weird thing like that. But it's like, no, my, my heart is for you more than it is for what we agree on or what truth we believe or we share together. My heart is for you. That's what covenant is, is a heart-to-heart connection. And covenants protect the relationship when there is a disagreement. So it means, well, we can disagree. As a leadership team, we've had many a disagreement. But in the midst of covenant, that disagreement hasn't broken the relationship because there's something greater than what we're speaking on or what we're challenging one another with. And that's covenant, relationship. 
And this allows us to hold truth more lightly and we are open to receive truth from others. Now, I don't mean that we should just go, oh, any truth, I'll just hold it lightly. Jesus, Lord, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Jesus, die for your sin, maybe, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. I'm not talking about those sorts of things, obviously, okay? There are other fundamentals. But I'm talking about, you know, maybe how someone's behaving or how they're treating another person or what they think about a particular topic. You know, the more peripheral uh, realities that are still important. But when we um, are prioritizing relationship over, you know, an agreement on something on a particular topic, it means like, well, I'm, I'm open to receive truth from you that maybe right now I don't believe to be truth. If our truths are shown to be lies, the relationship remains intact. Because not everything that we believe to be true is actually true. If, if I tell you a lie and you believe that lie, it will become as a truth to you. It becomes true. So we all live in, in deception at different times in our life, I'm sure. Whether it's Santa Claus, maybe, or you know, something like that, you know, but there's there's times where we believe something to be true and it is as if it is truth to us. But it may actually be a lie. So if we're not open, particularly in relationship with one another, where there's a trustworthiness there, and we know that that person has a concern primarily for my heart, not for them to speak truth to me, then I know, well, I can be open to receive something that might challenge a truth that I believe. I might actually expose it to be a lie so I can come into a fuller measure of the truth. When we don't have an openness to have our truths challenged, then we can potentially limit our ability to mature in truth. If we only receive that which we already agree with, we end up staying in the same place of revelation. It's kind of weird sometimes we think about that. It's like, no, no, well, I'll only receive truth that I agree with. Wow. Well, that doesn't really work, though. I, I remember it used to be taught, um, when we'd, we'd talk about, um, you know, talking with teenagers and young children about, about Jesus, and they say, well, I don't believe in God. And so we'd draw this, you know, circle, and we'd say, within this circle is everything that you currently know today, everything that you have knowledge on, that you believe in, all of that sort of stuff. So that's your circle of knowledge, your circle of truth. And we'd always say, so what if Jesus lived outside of that circle of knowledge and truth? So is it possible that you, there's some things that you don't know? And they'd always say yes, and then it's a good little gospel presentation there. And would say, you better believe or you're going to burn them. And then 100% success rate. Um, and then that start, like, it looks like a cookie, and they start getting hungry and distracted. And, so, but... Um, so it's important to understand that with us, if that's us, is like there's, there's truths that you don't even know of that exist. Or there may be things that you're believing to be truth that aren't actually truth. So speaking the truth in love is made a whole lot easier if the other person receiving the truth is in love too. So we need to speak the truth in love and we need to receive the truth in love. Well, we actually love the one who's giving the truth. That we don't judge them, we don't, you know, disconnect, we don't, you know, put them in a place where you're just judging me. When maybe they're coming, it's like, no, you're judging them as being someone who's judging you. Maybe they're coming in, in like a real pure and heart. I just love you. I know for me when I have to speak truth to people in love and it's challenging stuff, I hate it. Because I'm like, I don't want to hurt this person. But I know I have to say it, but I just really don't want to say it because I feel like it's, it's going to hurt them. And that's a good thing. Because it means I care about them. I care about their heart. 
Now, I don't want fear to override me and then say, so I don't, well, I won't speak anything to anybody because they might not like me or they might judge me or they might disagree. That's called passivity and that's not truth either. So we can deal with that one at another time. So when our heart's desire personally is for truth, then we are always open to receiving truth. We're always open to receiving correction. And again, correction doesn't shift the foundation of who we are in Christ. But it will shift our behavior or our, the motivations of our heart, which is a good thing. And this doesn't obviously mean that we receive everything that is shared with us as truth. Oh, well, if you said it, oh, well, you're in leadership, so it must be true. No, no. Weigh it up. Challenge what's being said. Own it yourself. But, um, yeah. We are responsible for what we believe. And you know what, if somebody shares something with me and I know that they, you know, they, they love me and they're concerned about me and they share something with me, it's very important that we steward that information. That we don't just say, oh, and no, I disagree, so I'm just going to block that out of my mind. It's going to be, well, I've got to, someone's potentially passing truth to me. I have a responsibility to steward that truth and to see, to make sure if this is from the Lord, then it's really important that I receive it rightly. And if it's not from the Lord, then it's really important that I don't receive it. But I'm responsible. So sometimes if what is spoken to us hits a sore point or challenges us, we can respond defensively. But defenses are only needed when there's an attack. So someone can come to you in love and they're speaking a truth and immediately it's like, shut the door, defense system, you know, run away, disconnect, hide, this person, they're out to get me, um, and it's, but maybe they're not. But if that's our automated response, um, then there's potential that we have an internal structure that's going to inhibit our maturity journey because now we can't receive truth because maybe we see they're like, they're challenging the core of who I am. But they can't, no one can challenge the core of who you are. Exactly. <laughs> it's Jesus. So don't interpret someone's desire to share truth as an attack. If that's your modus operandi, then I would challenge you that there's something in your heart that needs to shift. There's maybe some healing, and maybe you have been used and abused by people. Maybe you came out of a religious system where there was a lot of control. Maybe you grew up in a family where there was a lot of emotional um, manipulation that went on. So I get it. I understand that that might be the case, but there's healing for you so that you can become a, the kind of person that's open to, I can receive truth. And I can, or I can just receive that information and I can decide because I have a will and I'm responsible and I can decide, you know what? I actually don't agree. Or actually, no, that's actually not truth. I don't have a conviction from the Lord. So if someone shares something with me and I get an immediate conviction then I know that something needs to change, either in my behavior or my belief system. So somehow you'll have a conversation, someone says something, you're just like, Poosh, like, okay, wow, yep. I've had times where people have said stuff to me and I was like, I hate that you're saying that to me. I really hate that you're saying that to me. Right in this moment that you're saying that to me. And there's so many ways that I could respond to that. Um, but then I have to go, but I but I have a conviction that it's truth. So I have to receive it. 
I've been in times, you know, sometimes you're in that place and maybe you're talking to someone and about a difficult situation and, and you're like, and, and then they did this and they said that and this, that and whatever and the person then challenged you, but what about your heart? And you're just like, ah, <laughs> it's, it's in me. <laughs> I'm part of the problem. And we have to. We have to then take that truth, you know, and, and that's what I endeavor to do in my life. But if I don't get an immediate conviction but I trust the other person. They're not a complete stranger. And this can come through even prophetic words maybe that someone shares with you. Now, if I don't, I don't, well, I don't get an immediate conviction, but I shared with someone this week, it's like, I put it on my radar. So, well, I trust you what you're saying and uh, and I'm open to receiving that as truth. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to take that information, I'm going to put it on my radar. So then as I go about my day, it's like, boop, boop. And I'm just watching for it to pop up maybe. So maybe someone might challenge me, oh, Brad, I just wonder if maybe there's some pride in your heart. And I was like, oh, wow, I don't, I, don't, I don't feel like there is. I don't get an immediate conviction. And they might talk about maybe some things that I do or whatever. It's like, but you know what? I'm going to put that on my radar. And then I'm going to look in my interactions with people. And I'm going to go, oh, I responded like that when that person said that thing. Okay, hmm, that's interesting. So I'll plot that on the map and then I'll have another interaction. And boom, same thing. I'm like, oh, well, I'm actually starting to think, yeah, maybe there is something going on in my heart. But I don't need to, in that moment, agree or disagree. I can say, I'm going to take that and I'm going to steward that truth, that information. And if it, and if it maybe then takes root during my week or my month or whatever it might be, then it can do. Or it might be, you know what, I put that on my radar and nothing's blipping. Nothing's showing up. And I say, oh, well, okay, well, maybe I'm not getting a conviction from Holy Spirit. I'm not seeing that manifest and working out in my life in the way that this person's been saying. So I can let it go. So if you don't have a conviction, then we shouldn't just change our beliefs or behavior to suit somebody else, unless God tells us to, unless God tells us to. So you cannot agree with something, but still agree to behave differently for another person's sake. And this is other-centered love, other-centered community comes in. Now, again, I'm not talking about core belief things, but it might be. So for me, I don't have a conviction about when it comes to drinking alcohol. I feel like, I've, me personally, I feel like, you know what, I'm, I'm okay with having a drink or two. I'm not okay with drunkenness, but I'm okay. I can have a, you know, a beer after work or, or, or during work. No, no. Just, um, <laughs> it's water, I promise. No, I finished early on Friday, just before lunchtime when I was catching up with Brad, so it's all right. Um, You know, I I don't have a conviction about that, but somebody else might, and it might be because of their journey, it might be even biblically they have a conviction about that, and if they were to say to me, you know what, I'm uncomfortable with with drinking around me, I'm like, you know, I'm okay to not do that. We we had, you know, as a community, when when we first started as a church, we were, you know, a small kind of handful of people. And probably a little bit kind of pushing back against the religious system. And so we were just like trying to be free. And it's like, so we'd have catch-ups with our, what we call gospel communities. And, you know, people would, you know, bring drinks and nothing, you know, crazy or anything like that. But it'd just be like, well, we're just, we're free to, you know, have a drink and to share fellowship together in that kind of way. And, um, you know, we're going to do communion. We're going to use wine. Yeah, because we're, we're the real church, hardcore. And, um, Yeah. But what happened is we started then to interact with people who 
maybe you know, struggled with alcohol addiction. Yeah, that was part of their journey, or, or maybe they had different convictions about that. And it's like, yeah, so we actually have to take that into account because my freedom is important. It's important for me to be free, but when my freedom starts to impinge upon somebody else's freedom or their struggle or their conscience, then it's not okay. So I need to not just manage my freedom, but other people's freedom as well. And so, and so we did, and we started to have to, you know, bring things in. And people that would come into the community, and they'd be like, oh, these guys are Christians, but they're having a drink. Oh, so maybe it's okay. But then it actually caused them to stumble in a way. Because for them, they couldn't just have one drink. You know, one drink led to, led to multiples and was a real struggle for them. So we had to take that into account as well. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 8. And when he's talking about food offered to idols... And he says, you know, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And he talks about, anyway, about uh, when it comes to eating food offered to idols. And Paul's like, you know what? There's only one God. So when they're offering food to idols, we don't believe that there's actually real gods that are, that are there. That's, that's kind of nonsense. But if you go out to dinner with somebody and they put food before you and they say, this, this food was offered to an idol, to, a, to this false god, and uh, would you like some? And then Paul's saying, uh, okay, well, because of that, I'm not going to, no, actually, I don't, I don't want to eat. And the reason being, because that would show an acceptance of, of the behavior and the, these worshiping of false gods that Paul's like, I don't want to do because it could cause their conscience to stumble. But the same way, it's like if you are out and food gets put before you and no one says anything about it being offered to idols, even if it was, Paul's like, you're free to eat. Okay? Because it's not going to challenge somebody else's conscience. Because their conscience, it says, but some through former associations with idols eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. And verse 13, oh, verse 12, uh, thus sinning, oh, it says, oh, verse 11, so by your knowledge, the weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak. You sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. So we have a concern for the other in this process. So again, there might be things I don't have a conviction on. I don't believe that to be truth. But for your sake, for your conscience, I will choose in my freedom to behave differently in order to love you well. So when it comes to conviction, our conscience is an important signpost, but our conscience doesn't always reflect truth. Because our conscience can be seared, which means like cauterized and burnt and like flesh being brought to death. Because our conscience can be seared, our conscience can essentially become dead to the Spirit of God, and therefore we are not able to rightly receive and interpret and discern truth. 1 Timothy 4.1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, which is where we are today, in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. This is within the church even. So if someone speaks an objective truth from Scripture, and you don't have a conviction, then it's important that you check your heart before God. So if somebody's saying something and it's like, it says it in the Bible, it says it in the Scriptures, it's not one of those kind of skew-if, there's only one, you know, obscure reference somewhere in the, in the back of the Bible. You know, like it's, it's one that's like, this is common 
um, orthodox teaching of the church is very clearly articulated in Scripture, and you go, oh, yeah, I'm just, not, I'm just not convicted about that. I would say, just check your heart before the Lord, because maybe that's been an area of struggle of sin for you. And if habitual sin works in our life, it can sear our conscience as a protective measure against the guilt and shame that we feel because of our behavior. It's like an automated thing that if I'm, I'm stuck in this habitual sin and I feel stuck and I've been stuck for years and I can't get out no matter how hard I've tried. But I can't live in that guilt and shame. So it's almost like a protective function that that part of my conscience just starts to get seared, starts to atrophy, starts to die off. And all of a sudden, you know, I used to, I used to be on the floor bawling my eyes out in repentance and confession before the Lord, but you know, it just doesn't really bother me anymore. Same truth then as it is now, and yet, oh, it just doesn't really bother me. And I say, just be very careful that you're not relying upon your conscience or even a conviction from the Spirit, because maybe that ability to receive has been seared by sin. That went down well. When it comes to prophetic ministry, so prophetic ministry is like a, it's like a truth-exposing ministry. Yeah, the prophetic kind of gift set, it does. It often it exposes truth, and it's a very good thing, very important. Um, and it talks about the uh, Ephesians 6, 17. It says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Okay? Now, the Word of God is found contained in the Scriptures, but the Word of God is... In my understanding, it's the rhema word, it's the now word, it's the living word, it's what God is speaking right now in this moment for you to hear. So it could be a prophetic word. The word of God could be a prophetic word that somebody's speaking out. Now, just because somebody says, thus saith the Lord, doesn't mean that God's saying it. So this again, when it comes to prophetic ministry, the responsibility is on the receiver's end primarily. Now, if you have a prophetic gift and, and God leads you to prophesy, again, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you know, 13, 14, 15, all that, that we should all prophesy. That's his desire as an apostle that we would all prophesy, but some have a prophetic gift. But in that moment, we should be responsible for us, but also it's the person that's receiving that must steward the word that's given. Yes? Amen? Good. So it is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So again, prophetic ministry is heart ministry. Yes? Hallelujah. And it's important to understand here, when we talk about the sword of the Spirit, it's a piercing work, not a slashing work. Okay, so if you are bringing the word of God to somebody, it's important that you know how to rightly wield that sword so you don't just start slicing and dicing. Yeah, who's ever prophesied like that? Or who's ever received one of those kind of prophetic words? You just come, someone like, can I give you a word, brother? Yes, yes, see. And you just, and your guts are hanging out like, what the heck? Like, what was that about? You know, you, you don't feel loved, you just feel like smashed and hammered. Yes, Rachel. There you go. Clanging symbols without love. So the sword of the Spirit, it pierces. Okay. Now, if you're in a sword fight, I, I, you know, I've been in lots in my life, obviously. But um, 
But you imagine, in a sword fight, the, 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 the kind of the killer blow, really, without, you know, you want to pierce, you want to get to the heart. <laughs> if you want to deal a death blow to sin, you've got to get to the heart. It should pierce in. You start slicing and dicing, you know, it's like the, the knight, you know, the black knight in, and thing. Oh, it's just a flesh wound, you know, like it's, it's uh, you know, I'm, I'm okay, I'm okay. So too often I've seen prophetic ministry done by people that are unskilled in using the sword of the Spirit. The priority becomes about giving the word rather than the other person receiving the word. And when the word isn't received, the person not receiving the truth is blamed when it may be that they're not receiving the word because of how it's being delivered. How you deliver the truth is important, is as important as the truth you deliver. No, you just need to hear the truth. I'm just going to to speak out the truth. Whether you like it or not, I'm a prophet. I'm just going to speak out the truth and you've got to receive it. It's like, no, I don't, because you're being a jerk. Like, like, who would want to receive from that? How you deliver the truth is as important as the truth you deliver. Because truth without love isn't truth. And love without truth isn't love. You know, there's that movie, uh, A Few Good Men. And, uh, you know, it's like, you can't handle the truth. And that's sometimes I think, in, you know, someone doesn't receive pretty well. You can't handle the truth. And the response is, no, you can't handle the truth. You're the one that's not handling the truth rightly. You're the one that's wielding the sword poorly and damaging people with your so-called prophetic ministry. You know, you might be 100% accurate. And I don't care. Because the Bible's saying, if there's no love, and if you're not wielding that sword rightly, you're not handling the truth. Truth is a precious gift that we must handle with care. And it's supposed to bring about a fruit. If you're a prophet, then you should be loving the hearts of the people. And this is what God is doing. He's raising up heart prophets. And if you're not loving and you're not, my intent is that your heart would change, that your heart would be transformed. Not that it's that I'll do my bit, my bit, or my bit is just to deliver the truth. I'm just the messenger. No. What happens if, if somebody came to your house with a parcel? Oh, here's your mail. Wow. Yeah. Did you not see fragile written on the package? Yeah. There's a, <laughs> there's a big fragile sticker put on truth, yeah, on the pastor that you're delivering. Treat it rightly. You don't ask a two-year-old to carry the precious china to the dinner table because the chances are they're going to drop it. Clumsy people don't make good waiters because you want the food to end up in people's mouths, not in their laps. So if you're clumsy with the truth, don't deliver the truth. If you can't handle it, don't give it to others. Or we'll move on. So to be in love, to speak the truth in love is to be connected to your own heart. If someone has a powerful prophetic gift but a disconnected heart, then they are not qualified to speak the truth because they cannot know that it's in love. Shall I say it again? If someone has a powerful prophetic gift but a disconnected heart, then they're not qualified to speak the truth because they cannot know that it's in love. And this is why the fivefold ministry exists, to give a fuller picture of what a healthy believer looks like. 
So apostles aren't supposed to raise apostles. Prophets aren't supposed to just raise prophets. Evangelists aren't supposed to just go out and evangelize and raise up evangelists. The fivefold ministry exists for you to come into the fullness of Christ, which means those five represent parts of Christ's nature, of his heart and his intent. So prophets need pastors. They need shepherds. Shepherds need teachers. Evangelists need apostles. It's all the working together. It's the blending and the building that brings us all into that place of maturity. Otherwise, people think, well, I'm just, I'm, I, I hear from God, and so I just speak out the truth. I say, yeah, but are you connected to your heart? Do you love people? Are you concerned for the other? Well, if not, then you're not even a prophet. You're not a prophet because Jesus is a prophet. And if you don't look like Jesus, then you're not in the fullness of that gift even. Now, there will be people that go, you might have, you know, I just have a real apostolic call on my life. That might be you. But that's not your ultimate end in life. You're called to be like Christ, not be like an apostle. You're called to be like Christ, not like an evangelist. And so in essence, if you're not being and growing into Christ's likeness, then you're not even outworking that gift in, a, in the right and healthy way anyway. So you say, well, I'm an evangelist. Do you behave like Christ? No, then you're not an evangelist. Well, I'm a teacher. Do you behave like Jesus? No. Well, then you're not a teacher. Now, none of us are perfect. We're all on that growth journey. But I'm saying, are you moving towards Christ's likeness? Are you moving towards the manifestation of the fullness of Christ? Because if you're not, forget your gift. We only need one set of symbols in the church. That's loud enough. We certainly don't need any gongs. When we speak the truth in love, we target the heart. And it's so important that, you know, and I do think that it's something, I know the, the guys in, in New Earth Tribe talk about this idea of, you know, heart prophets, but I think we need, you know, we need heart prophets. We need heart evangelists. You know, we need people that go and when they share the gospel, they're, they're loving people. This again, when you're talking about non, to non-Christians about the gospel, do you care about getting through your spiel? Or tick in the box like I've done my evangelistic duty. It's like, no, no, I, I love you. And because I love you, I want you to know the truth. Not because one day you're going to burn in hell, but because right now, today, you don't know the reason why you were created. You're not living in the love of God. You're not living in fullness and abundance of, of life. So we need hard evangelists. We need hard apostles, hard teachers, hard shepherds. It's what the Lord is doing now. He's raising us up. But the importance that we are in community, not just speaking the truth and doing it in love, but we're also a people that receive the truth. Like, yes, please speak the truth to me. But do it in love. And I have, I've had people speak to me and it's just like, and, then, and they get irritated because you're not taking it on board straight away. It's like, well, I don't have to take it on board straight away. But maybe part of it is I'm not, just, I'm not receiving the way you're giving it to me. You know, deliver it in love. Have a concern for my heart. So ultimately, I'm just going to agree with you for your sake. And nothing changes for me. 1 John 3, verse 16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. But if anyone has the world's good and sees their brother in need, let's not close our heart against them. How does God's love abide in them? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. 
By this we shall know that we are of the truth and we reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Let's pray. We just thank you for truth, Jesus. And we thank you that you represent the fullness of truth. That truth is revealed in you because the fullness of the Father's nature was revealed through you. So, Lord, we we decide we love you and we love the truth, Lord. And we want to be challenged and transformed by the truth, God. But, Father, I just pray that you would help us as a people to take that priority of love to be first. That we would be a people that would love. And because we love, we'd have a desire to speak truth. And Father, it wouldn't be a false love where we would avoid having those challenging conversations because we think we're being loving in that. But it'd be, no, no, I have to confront this person on this because I love them. That's why. And my heart is for them. And Lord, you would help us to be good speakers of truth in love, but also good receivers of truth in love, Lord. Father, we don't want to be children tossed to and fro by the waves and led astray by every wind of doctrine, by the enemy's deceitful schemes. Father, we want to be a people that stand firm on the solid rock of the truth of who you are and what you have done, but also, Father, be growing and to be manifesting the reality of truth through our lives, which comes as we yield ourselves in healthy, right relationship, even with one another, so that you can speak truth through other people to us, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing in this community, Father. Thank you for what you're doing in this region and this nation, Lord, of raising up people who who focus on the heart, who focus on that place of transformation. We love you, Lord. And Father, I do pray as well for those maybe here today who are who have been wounded, Lord, maybe wounded by the prophetic ministry that has been done poorly, maybe wounded by a church environment that used truth to control and manipulate, or even a family home, Lord, where truth was used as a, as a weapon to, to, to manipulate and control and not in love, Father. And I, Father, I just pray a grace right now just for healing, Lord, healing over wounded hearts, Lord. Healing over broken trust. Father, you would help us to trust again, Lord. You would heal those deep wounds, Lord. Heal those deep wounds in our heart, Lord. Heal those deep wounds in our heart, Father. And I pray also, Lord, for those that you are calling to to function in a a more fully um, prophetic kind of way, Lord, as as a primary gifting, Lord that you would minister to their hearts, Lord, awaken their hearts, Father, stir their hearts in love, God, not just for you, but for others, Lord, not just for the truth, Lord, but for the people that are to receive the truth, God. 
And I thank you, Lord. I just see you're just doing that, Lord, even across the nations where you're raising up heart prophets, Lord. But we just pray, Father, that every prophet, Lord, would come to that conviction, Father, that they can't avoid their own heart and the healing that needs to happen. And they can't fully speak the truth unless they're loving the one who's receiving it. So we just thank you for what you're doing, Lord. Continue that healing work, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Bless you guys. Sorry? Yes. Please, if you, are, if, you, if you need some prayer, you want some prayer, please come forward. Our, our pastoral care team is here, and uh, they just love to minister to you. If you feel like, oh, I don't want to bother people, you will not be bothering people. It'll bother them if they don't get to pray for you. So um, we, we love you, and we, we, we care for you. If it's hit a hard spot, please just come and, and, uh, and share with us. If you, if you don't want to receive anything that I've said as truth, you are empowered to do so. Bless you guys. See you next week. Yeah.